Jonathan Tannenwald, the inimitable soccer reporter famed for his excellent Philadelphia Union coverage, U.S. soccer national team coverage, is joining us today on the Swan Dive. Jonathan, how are you? You know, it's funny because as I was on the boarding the flight home from Dallas the day before we recorded this, I thought to myself, you know, Meg's going to be asking me when I'm coming home, just as I asked her for three (laughs) weeks in a row when she's coming home and we're never in the same place at the same time. I know, but here we are. We're in Philadelphia. We're staring down the barrel of a new union season. We're both here, ready to go. Are you feeling excited for the prospect of the union this year? I think so. Um, We are, by the way, going to have to do our next show at Grand Cafe La Quila and take in all the ambient noise. But uh, I think that's a great idea. um, You know, no, I I think that, uh, look, and I've written this a few times, the union are really good. This is not something we ever really have been able to say before. They are coming into this year with actual expectations, really big expectations for the first time in their history. And Jim Curtin, who is an even more devoted Eagles fan than you are, is wholeheartedly embracing them. Yeah. He's been, I mean, he has really made a name for himself in the management world in MLS. How do you think he's been so successful? And I feel like I have an idea of how you'll answer this, but was there ever a time where, you know, he's the second longest tenured manager in MLS? Was there ever a time you thought he was the wrong guy for the job and Maybe the union needed to move on from him. I never really knew whether he was the wrong guy for the job because for so many years, I just knew that he had inferior talent to everybody else. And I didn't know what would happen if he could coach actual talent that could run with the other teams in the league. Now he's got it. Well, it turns out he's quite good at this stuff. And he's grown as a tactician over the years, especially in the years since Ernst Tanner has been the sporting director, where Ernst has said, I'm not as dogmatic tactically as Ernie Stewart as we can get to that later. We might get to that later for just a few minutes. I'm not as tactically dogmatic as Ernie Stewart is. You can go and play two different formations in a game and just go out there and try to win the thing. The base is the 4-4-2 diamond, obviously, but when they had El Seno, they varied things up some. uh, They varied things up on occasion the last couple of years out of necessity. Now they're going to do it out of desire, which I think is going to really help. Moving from last season to this season, I think you just touched on one of the big questions is, will this team evolve at all tactically? Are there new tricks up Jim's sleeve? You were in Clearwater with the team. What did you see? Well, I think Joaquin Torres is a big trick up his sleeve. And he know, Jim knows it. Joaquin knows it. It allows them to go back to playing a 4-3-3 at times. It allows them to maybe play a 3-5-2 at times, which I think they've wanted to do for years. It allows them to play a box midfield, which I know that Ernst Tanner has wanted to do for years because it's what he did with the Red Bull organization for a long time. And you can try a bunch of things and see how it works. And, and the, the general suspicion is, you know, they don't, they don't have – the only thing I think they don't have is a backup big man striker behind Michael. Quinn Sullivan? Uh, Nelson Pierre. Okay. Really. Okay. Tell me more. Chris Donovan's not good enough, really. He's good, but he's not good enough. But in terms of in terms of a player with the size and physicality and enough technical skill of, of Corey Burke to come in late some late games and throw some people around and do some things, they don't have that. And I think Nelson Pierre is going to be it, but he's just coming up now. I'm very excited to watch it. So when you look at last season and you look at this season, you know, first of all, as a Philadelphia sports fan. There are way too many people, myself included, predicting the union to win trophies and potentially take it all for me to feel. Yeah, go ahead. You're a Philadelphia sports fan. I am not. That's true. You're an imposter. You moved here from from Washington, D.C. I'm a foreigner. Yes. (laughs) I'm a foreigner. And uh, I have uh, no 
I have no Philadelphia sporting allegiances except occasionally my alma mater basketball. Which makes you a good impartial observer to our uh, looniness. Is that a good word for Philadelphia sports fans? Oh, I was going to say masculinity, but looniness works just fine. <laughs> so, I mean, observing us externally as as a fan, but you've been here for over a decade, so you're 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 in it. You get it. You yeah. Um. I feel like there's way too many people who feel positively about this team for things to go well. It's just that can't add up. Are we doomed given everyone's excitement, including yours? Sure. Why not? (laughs) I did the, you know, I did a little predictions thing with a couple of my colleagues the other day and I said, I'm not picking an MLS cup winner. I never do. No, no, I don't pick a, I don't pick a playoff winner in a one or two game round situation because it's crapshoot. And oh, by the way, when I first filed the copy, we didn't know the playoff format yet. And yeah. I had to go back in and update it, which is the childish for a league this established. Do you like the playoff format? No. Yeah. Does anyone? Yes. Who? The ticket sales office at FC Cincinnati. <laughs> yeah, correct. <laughs> okay, a few so- other such teams that were in the five to eight range that are now guaranteed a home game as... <laughs> As yeah. soon as the rumors yeah. started flying about this, I called Pat Brennan of the Cincinnati Enquirer, who I think you've met before. Also a Delco native. Yeah. Yes. Yes. And I said, get FC Cincinnati on the record that they're behind this. Did because they're the kind of team. And I was down in uh, Dallas talking to John Arnold about some other teams around the league, all those teams in the league that we think were behind this. And uh, I'm going to pull up the exact quote from Jeff Birding, FC Cincinnati's, I guess, president is his official title, where yeah, he said it. after the announcement, We are pleased that the new format will provide, if we earn a postseason berth, the near certain opportunity to bring a playoff atmosphere home to our fans this season. Contrast this with, by way of one very prominent example, Jim Curtin. He has said more than once in recent weeks, and I'll quote one example, you work all season in the 34 games of the regular season to get that home field advantage. And I'll use us as the recent example because it's recent, right? I think FC Cincinnati of all teams would probably know a little bit about that. Speaking of Jim Curtin, he seems like he's doing, you just did an exclusive interview with him for the Inquirer. I saw one in the athletic. There's some spicy quotes going around. Is this his scorched earth season? He seems to be not that he ever was someone who was anything less than honest with the media, but what's his temperament at the moment? Is this his villain? I I think he's always been this way. He he's also, it's funny because he, he didn't really open up until he got his first multi-year contract under Urs Tanner. And this is actually his contract year, which makes it even more fascinating that he's being as spicy as he is. But he's, he's, he's gotten himself to a stature now where it doesn't matter. He can go to Europe whenever he wants because Jesse Marsh will hire him if he wants to. And not right now, but down the road. He's a serious candidate for the U.S. national team. I think we all know that. Whether or not he's actually going to get the job, nobody knows. But he's very much on the list. That is clear. And he's in a contract here with the union. He, he, he would be perfectly happy to stick around because he's he sort of hinted this to you and me and a few other people. And I think he finally said it on the record at one point. He doesn't really want to go to Europe until his kids are in college. How many years are we away from that happening? Uh, the first one's two or three, I think. So are we looking at another three to four years of, of Jim Curtin or could potentially he move to the national team position until his kids are in college? Timing wise, that could be perfect, actually. Uh, I mean, I don't know what what it depends first what the union offer. Yeah. I think. 
And then it depends if U.S. soccer offers him and when they offer him and so on. Um, could could you see I, him and, and Jesse teaming up in that position? And do you feel – I know you don't know for sure, but do you feel like that's on U.S. soccer's mind, Marsh and Curtin together? I don't know if it's on U.S. soccer's mind, but it's sure on Jim's mind. Specifically with Jesse? Yeah, I, I think he'd like to do that at some point. Whether he wants to do it now or not, I don't know. But uh, I also, you know, I said this when, when U.S. soccer was looking around for an interim. So there, there are people out there in the game who would, on merit, be useful interims. But I would not make Jim Curtin a two-year interim until Marcelo Bielsa or Carlo Ancelotti or whoever comes along. I think he's better than that. And I said that, and I think a number, enough people agreed with me. I mean, I would have loved to have seen, if the timing was right, but it wasn't, I would have loved to have seen Nico Estevez get the interim job. Say, who's he? He's the guy who got Yunus Musa. Yeah. So there's the respect there of the Eurosnop crowd. Sure. And recruiting dual nationals is arguably the most important thing the interim's going to do. So why Anthony Hudson? Why'd he get the job? Because he was around. Yeah. But I, I mean, look. He's been very honest about, you know, basically saying, I'm just going to ride this donkey until I fall off. He's totally understanding of the situation that he's in. He's been honest with the press, as you and I have seen. He's been honest with the players. He even came out and said after the January camp games, if we get Alejandro Zendejas to commit to the U.S., that's more important than either game score. And he's right. He's absolutely right about that. Yeah. Yeah, he knows He knows what he's there for. So, yeah, we'll see. I'm open. I'm open to that project. I mean, you mentioned Ernst Tanner. I have to go back to that. So it sounds like Sportsology spoke to him. Yes. And he turned down. Was it, do you, do you have any further details about that? What I exactly happened? I don't yet. Um, I'm, we are recording this on Friday afternoon uh, in the very minutes when uh, the El Trafico Galaxy LAFC game has been postponed because of the weather in Southern California. Oh, it has? So it just happened as we were talking. Our, 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 our lot in life, the news breaks while we're doing podcasts. It feels but no, like but I haven't talked to Ernst yet. Okay. I hope to Saturday night. That's why I said it's Friday afternoon as we're recording. I hope to Saturday night and get a little more insight on what's happened. I don't know if any of us know what Sportsology is doing. They're a famous consulting firm. That's for sure. Tell me more. I'm very cynical about sports consulting firms for hiring GMs and coaches, mainly because I come at it out of the college basketball world, excuse me, where universities unlimited budget spend untold amounts of money on consultants to who ultimately tell them to recycle somebody who got fired three months ago yeah it doesn't feel like any new ideas come up and i don't mean to sound overly cynical or like this is the worst case scenario but it feels like six months from now i think we can all pretty much predict what what's what's gonna happen i do think it might end up being jesse and jim which i have mixed feelings about you would be excited about that though um i would have mixed feelings about it i think that if it was up to me, if I was building my dream team, it would be Jesse Marsh one, Tab Ramos two, and Jim Curtin three coming in during the FIFA windows. Okay. Not Jim Curtin two full time, as it were. Okay. What's your logic there? I think Curtin's either going to be one or not. Really? At the st- I mean, I understand his line of thinking, which is that everybody needs to pitch in for the World Cup in 2026. But in right. any other World Cup cycle, would a coach of his stature deserve to be number two in the pecking order? No. There you go. So uh, why Ernst Tanner? Is that just because Ernie Stewart obviously has familiarity and respect and recommended him? 
Well, I mean, look, I think that's about as high a compliment as you could get. The fact that the guy who succeeded you and completely overhauled the tactical philosophy and development philosophy of the team that you ran as Ernie Stewart has been a close friend and ally and sent you lots of good players. That's some pretty high praise, I think. And Ernie Stewart, I think, has overall done a good job in his role. And it's a bit sad to see him depart. Were you surprised to see him depart? And do you think it has anything to do with what's happening with Greg Berhalter? Or is that just, you know, the opportunity came up in the Netherlands? Was I surprised? Yes. Do I blame him? No. I'm willing to believe that this is not the first job offer he had in the last year and a half. Certainly not. Somebody somewhere in the world. Um, We know he had the contract through 2026. So it was not just a stop on a dime and said, I've had enough of this. I'm out of here. But if he said, I've had enough of this and I'm here, I wouldn't blame him. And the reason why I wouldn't blame him goes to something that you just said, where you called it the Burhalter scandal. You know what I'm about to do to you. It's not the Burhalter scandal. It's the Reina scandal. Sure. I still am curious personally to hear more details about what happened there. Do Aren't you we have... all? And we're waiting for the investigation report to get published. But this I... is why I asked Ernie. When they won the one conference, news conference that they had. At any point during the World Cup, did you tell Claudio Reyna to stop texting you and let you do your job? It, so is your understanding, let's dig into that. This is the part where I have to cut out things because I need you, <laughs> I'm going to get you to spill all your <laughs> insider info. You got a bleep button back there somewhere? <laughs> yeah, I, I do. Yeah. Um, don't worry. You can tell me everything and I'll, I'll cut it out for the audience. So I mean, I've reported most of it at this point anyway. Sure, sure. Well, we'll see what else we can get. So is your understanding of what happened that Gio was not 100% fit? Greg told him he'd have a limited role. He refused to practice. What exactly happened there? Well, that, you were I, there. Well, let's, let's, let's clarify this part for the listeners. I, I was, was not there. Guitar. I was there. And this is you partly were there why... For us. You were there for the... You were the inquirer's eyes and ears on the ground in Qatar. I was not. Which is partly why I need more information because the, I don't want to scoop myself, but I'm, you know, expounding on my thoughts here. I've been going back to interviews and the week before the Wales game, most of the main players, at least, if not every player came through for individualized roundtables. And a lot of people were asking about Reyna because he was, you know, he's a big name. Everyone's excited for how he was going to do in the World Cup. We were thinking he was fit. And most players had very high praise for him. You know, Tim Weah is talking about how he's the chillest dude in the world. Matt Turner is talking about what a leader he is. The next day was the scrimmage. And it's like, where was the breakdown? How do you go from people saying this guy is the future leader of this team? Matt Turner said that to pretty much the next day or two needing to send him home. I personally... You know, we weren't able to watch the full training sessions. I didn't see anything that indicated that. And, you know, Reyna came through and talked to us. He seemed fine. So so I'm definitely, I didn't see anything. Clearly something happened. I'm deeply curious to know how you go from this guy's the chillest guy in the world, which is what Tim Weah said, to we need to get this guy out of here. Stat. My understanding. I've reported this some... You've reported it some. A lot of people have reported a lot of what we're about to talk about. So nothing, I don't think that anything I'm going to say is all that new to anybody. My understanding is that Gio Reyna was dogging it in practice and that it is not the first time in his life that he has dogged it in practice in an American soccer context. 
He can't do that at Dortmund because he will never get on the field if he does. But I know people who knew him and knew of him at earlier ages, and they were not surprised by this. And who would know that better than the guy who has known his dad for 35 years or whatever it is? Would I have handled it the way I did? No. The way Greg did? No. Would I have gone to a Chatham House rules summit and assumed that it was actually going to be off the record? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. But would I have attempted, would I, A, have gone and called my old teammate from the 2002 and prior World Cup to complain that my son wasn't playing? No. Would I have threatened to uncork a 30-year-old domestic violence, uh, 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 what is it, intimate partner violence is the actual phrase I'm supposed to use, incident committed by Greg Berhalter against my former college roommate of 30-plus years ago? Would I have done that out of, retribution for my son not playing at the world cup and the coach criticizing him i'd like to think not would i have issued a i will give only slightly more than half hard i will say thir- three quarters or five eighths hearted instead of half hearted apology in a statement no no does reina think he's too good does he think he's better than all these players that he doesn't need to earn his role well i mean what is it i don't, is he I not- don't know geo well enough but yeah. it sure thinks sounds like claudio thinks that and not for the first time. And Okay. Well, tell me Fox about- and The Athletic reported that during the 2019 under 17, I think it was, World Cup, Claudio was throwing his weight around with Rafael Vichy. Now get out of here. Sorry. Sorry. No. Especially, think- especially when you are a Mount Rushmore figure of U.S. men's national team history and you have torched yourself. Yeah, it's just sad to to think about what he's done to his legacy. And I still, you know, I'm I'm gonna wait for the report before i i fully decide about what happened yes we are when are we getting it jonathan where is the report i thought we would have it by now actually yeah um somebody texted me a couple hours ago it's friday afternoon you know what that means and i said please don't do that to me (laughs) so is Um, it coming are you checking not that i know of genuinely not that i i just spent two weeks with the u.s women's team cindy Cohn did no interviews other than the one on TNT on the pregame show Wednesday night. And I have known nothing else otherwise. So speaking of that, you were telling me before that you've written 31 articles this month, I think you said. And Since a lot I of left that... for Clearwater on the 8th, yes. 31 articles over two and a half weeks. Okay, so a lot of that has been union coverage and the women's team. Yes. You also mentioned that not a lot of people cover the men and the women equally. How have you been able to do that? so successfully how have i been able to do that yes by spending a lot of my own money over many years or have you cornered the editors of the philadelphia inquirer and made them write about soccer first of all i'm also curious about that because the inquirer does do more soccer coverage than a lot of other news outlets i would like to think i am very not egotistical about this. probably to my detriment yes i have I am responsible for this. I am the one who has gone into all these rooms for years and years and said, there are people out here in this town who care about stuff. And there are people out there who are, we, we are, we expand our reader base by covering soccer, which supposedly is something that we want to do. Well, thank you for that. Have you, how difficult has that been? I mean, talking about Philadelphia sports fans, you know, it's a sports crazed city and, a lot of entrenched Eagles fans and Sixers fans will stick their nose up at, at soccer. What kind of pushback have you gotten? 
as the saying goes in the city where we both used to live, I yield to the gentlewoman from the entrenched portions of Delaware County. <laughs> you can tell the people that. See, I, I will. That's, a, that's, that's I, good. I'd like. better not. <laughs> that, that answers the question of and of itself, you know? Yeah. How about... It's very difficult. Yeah. Is it getting better? Yes. Under the current administration, it's gotten a lot better. And I have a travel budget for the first time in my career. And I've been putting it to use. Good. What the most, the way I would put it, the way I've always put it publicly, is, this is the farthest I'll go. Because there's some stuff that I really want to say, but can't because it will damage me. And I don't want to. There, you know, you and I have had those conversations plenty often before. And for anybody listening who doesn't know, Meg contributes regularly to the Inquirer, covers union games when I am on the road with national, so on and so forth. So we are... We are both, I think, in a position where we'd both rather not be tossed in the schuylkill if we can avoid it. What I've said to people is, you look at how the Enquirer covers the Philadelphia Orchestra, where there is a very devoted, clear core of people who pay for our product to read specifically to read that cover. I know I'm never going to hit as many clicks and page views as our coverage of the Eagles and the Sixers and the Clippers. But if I can drive subscriptions to a significant degree, that is real money for us. And that's what I try. Amen. And when and, it comes- I, and also, you know, I've said to people, as it pertains to the national teams, you know, yes, at the moment, there's no one on the U.S. women's team who is local. But people in this, the U.S. women's team is the most popular soccer team in the Philadelphia area. The union now start, are now starting to catch up. To. And in this town, people want to read about Crystal Dunn and Becky Sauerbrunn and Megan Rapinoe and Alex Morgan and Katerina Macario and Sophia Smith just as they do everywhere else in the country. Do you think that the women gets enough coverage um, given how successful they are in not the grand? Close. Not, not even, even close. close. Yeah, why, were, why not? I have all I afternoon. Can't claim to, I, can't, can't, <laughs> I cannot claim to speak for other editors and such people who make decisions about covering things based on what their perception is of the interest. At the She Believes Cup, a lot of people started it out in Orlando, then some, including most of the Canadian media. The New York Times was there the whole time. Steve Goff, the Washington Post, was there for the first two games then had to get home to get ready for the, for DC United, you know, kicking off. I was there the whole time. Meg Linehan and Steph Yang and the Athletic were there for the whole time. Lake Littman of Fox Sports, who lives in Dallas, which was the last stop, was there the whole time. I made a little easier for her. And as I said, Juliet Massour was there at the New York Times. Jerry Longman was there at the New York Times. I remember going to Carly Lloyd's national team finale in late 2021 in St. Paul, Minnesota. Yes, it was still during the pandemic. But on the day before, at practice, it was me, Steph, Meg, one or two people from the local papers, and that was it. How do we change that? If I knew, if you and I knew the answer to that question, we'd have done it years ago. Do you feel positively about where journalism is going more broadly? I mean, beyond, obviously, I think you are a success story. The Philadelphia Inquirer is a success story whether or not the women's teams get equal coverage, clearly the answer is no, given how successful they are. But I mean, in the background, I think a lot of jobs are disappearing or people are downsizing or especially when it comes to MLS, SB Nation was doing a lot of freelance type of work and that's disappeared. Do you feel positively about? No, of course not. No, yeah. <laughs> I was hoping for you would of, push back and, and inspire for- me. About. For a lot of reasons, one of which is the public says they want the coverage, but they're never willing to pay for it. Yeah, that is one thing, I think. And it's especially true in the soccer realm. And I can't clap back about that to a lot of people on Twitter who follow me, or in particular as it comes to the U.S. women's team, a lot of those fans are in their late teens and early 20s. I can't clap back at them. 
about it. I will say, too, though, it's not like the U.S. men's team gets an enormous amount of coverage on a regular basis. Yeah, I mean, I'm shocked by by how little coverage they get as well. Yeah, I doubt all that many people will be at their camp in Orlando. Will you be there? Depends who get calls up, gets called up. If if all the local people get called up, I might have to go. But who are your I, local people? Actually, this is a question. Same ones as you, ma'am. I know, but are we sure we were claiming Christian Pulisic as local? It's not not, not not Pulisic in this case. <laughs> okay. Uh, Brendan and Paxton Aronson, Mark McKenzie, Austin Trusty, and Sexton. Yeah. You think I've, I've told my bosses, up. and they've generally agreed. The first time Brendan and Paxton get called into the same camp, I have to go. Yeah. Do you think that Female. could be March? I don't know. I don't know if Paxton will get called in in March. I would, I would have to think that Brendan gets called in in March. Yeah, for sure. Not least so that he can go run around on a field and play some soccer for us. Yeah, hopefully he plays. I mean, I'm still disappointed by his lack of minutes in the World Cup and. He seems I, to have hit a bit of a rough patch, I think. I, he needs to go sit on a beach somewhere for a week and recharge himself. Do you as, think... does, as, as to be fair, as do half the players in the soccer world at this point. But they don't have time to. I mean, every time we turn around, there's That's a the new problem. tournament. There's a new, yeah. Right. There's a bunch of guys out there who are worn out to shreds. I don't blame them. When you and think I would, about... you know, in part to that point, and, and this it goes back to Anthony Hudson, and I've said this a number of times in recent weeks, you, you call up probably half the big guns for the Nations League in March just to get that over the line because you have to. And you have to call up Geo for those games to close the book on. And you call up, you know, enough of the big guns to make the Final Four be respectable. And you send the Olympic team to the Gold Cup because who cares at that point? Yeah. And I don't even think Fox is going to complain all that much because they'll be able to market it as the guys who'll play in 26. There you go. Everyone's happy. I mean, I would not. There's no way I would send you. You need the U23 guys to play together as much as they can between now and next summer, which they're really not going to do all that. What? Why wouldn't you? Yeah, I think that's probably. I think that's that's probably the call in terms of you know the younger players in the future and looking at 2026. Like, there's a few people on the union who are kind of in that bag. I mean, how soon are we going to see Jack McGlynn getting called up? Golly, I'm glad you asked. <laughs> <laughs> Tell me all about it. I, I sat down to figure out what my season preview stories were going to be. Mm-hmm. And I knew one of them was going to be Michael Laura in part because he's the top striker in part because Ernst Tanner told me last year on the day before the MLS cup, finally he thought he could score 20 goals this year. So I went over to him and I said, you think you can score 20 goals this year. That's neat. And Michael's a great guy. He had plenty to say. But people in this town for years have said, oh, the union don't have anybody I've heard of, which was code for saying they didn't sign Wayne Rooney or Gareth Bale or Zlatan Ibrahimovic or you know, Drogba. Thank God. <laughs> well, I rem- I had gotten some arguments with people at, at the time that DC signed Rooney where I said the union don't need him. Okay. Did you they change your mind? Me. They didn't believe me, but I don't know whether I changed anybody's mind. But I did say this time around, I said, if you're going to sit here and say, this team has nobody I've heard of, for once in my life, I'm going to do something. And I'm going to make, I'm going to make uh, Jack McGlynn be the guy you've heard of. Why Jack? Because he's outrageously talented. And because Brendan Aronson, excuse me, made it, in quotes, in 2020 during the pandemic down, in, down at Disney, 
And then by the time they came back to resume the season, it, A, wasn't very long, and B, not a lot of people could really watch it. Paxton was gone too early. We all know that. But they had to take that deal because it was too much money. You and I and everybody else, if you got offered that deal, you take, you take the same deal. Jack McGlynn is arriving now, and as best we know, is going to be here for the full year, unless he does so well at the Under-20 World Cup that some European this team, team this summer crashes and brings truck into Which is extremely possible. Possible, but I... You don't see it happening. Do you see, is Jack, you know... If it, if it I, happens, I would turn around and say to them, don't you want a left back? Well, I do have that question. How, you know, we were hearing so much talk about losing Kai Wagner and he's still he's still with the team. Still here. It's, it's, it's odd to me. I mean, it's not odd. But I think we all thought he was going to go and then it cooled with leads because they went for Max Wolver. And nobody else really put a serious check. A lot of teams talk about it. And they either don't actually put checks on the table or in Italy and Germany, they don't have a ton of money to spend yet because the pandemic knocked them so far sideways and they still aren't fully recovered. Is that you'd disappointing think the Schal- for him? You'd think that Schalke would get its head out of its rear end and have the money because they have a 50,000-seat stadium, but they're awful. They're really bad. This team is one of the great teams in German history. It's atrocious. Well, we don't want them to take Kai Wagner, not until, you know, the season's over and we've won. But it might be too late by then. They might be relegated again. Oh, yeah. But but to to get back to the Jack McGlynn point, I think he's going to be here all year this year, which means if you're tuning in now, you can actually watch him all the way through the year and then send him off to you. Is he displacing anyone in the starting lineup, which is part of a bigger question I have for you. Are we seeing the same 11 trotted out as the starters? You can't. You just can't. And, And Jim Curtin has said he knows it. He said multiple times he knows it. He said it over and over again. He's going to rotate the lineup this year. That is his biggest Achilles heel easily, is that he sticks with 11 guys for too long. He cannot do it this year. They're going to play 60 games. Yes, yeah. And I've tried to, to, it's not always my job to seed the narrative, but I have no choice with this. To make it clear to folks, you are not going to see these, you are not going to, and you should not want to, see the same starting lineup every game this year. Yeah, I think given the number of games and competitions they're going to play, they'll need to rotate. And he also has said that he thinks that last year in particular, maybe they got away from playing the quote unquote kids. So Jack got playing time, the other ones not so much. Obviously, Paxton's not there anymore. But outside of Jack McGlynn, what quote unquote kids are you expecting real minutes from this year? Nate Harrell. Oh, right. Nate Harrell, of course. Yeah. But any any of the others? Like, are we going to um, see Brandon Craig in there? Are we going to see... Brandon Craig's a real... I think he's got to play at some point. Significantly? It might or, be the Open Cup just... and the League's Cup. Okay. You know, or the last... If they can if they can run it up on Alianza with 45... If, if that series is over, effectively, with 45 minutes to go in the second one in Chester, I'd put Craig in for, the, for that. Okay. Um, he's, he's really good. How about Quinn? What, is Quinn Sullivan oh. sneaking in there? Uh, yeah, I, th- I think he will. Where is going to be the big question. And I think Quinn is still at a point in his playing career where he doesn't really care where. He just wants to get on the field, whether it's as a, a Ford or a 10 or a bow of the Christmas tree or whatever it may be. He uh, the, the idea is that he is Daniel Gazdag's chief backup to start the year because Torres goes a little further in front of him or plays in a 4-3-3 or whatever it may be. But I would I would love to see a... Sullivan Ura Torres front line at four three three. That would be a lot of fun, I think. Yeah, I'm hoping that's one of my big hopes for this year. I mean, obviously all the main characters are back, but there's a lot of new components that are exciting. But then also I'm excited by the prospect of people like Quinn Sullivan in particular getting more minutes. 
So we'll see. I mean, well, they, they certainly have the number of games and, and competitions. Jonathan, I want to read you a quote and, and get your reaction oh, no. on it. Oh, no. Um, right, do you know what I'm going to read you? I, I could take any <laughs> number of guesses. Go ahead. And this quote is coming from an article in The Athletic by Paul Tenorio and Sam Stasekol entitled, MLS executives make picks for MLS Cup winner and offer Leaks Cup playoff format thoughts. The thing is, they're not even that fucking good, one executive said. It kind of hurts me to pick them. All they do is kick the shit out of you. They're always ready to play. That's great. That's good coaching. All that stuff. But they're just not great. They have a way of doing things, and they're consistent. But it's not like the quality is amazing. So it hurts me to pick them, but they've kind of earned it. Who said that? Greatest moment in Union history. <laughs> the I mean, this dumbest stuff thing you could have possibly done to start a season where they, that team already has it in mind that nobody likes them. And you've gone and done that. And I know <laughs> it's a widespread feeling around the league. And I've heard it from a lot of people. Don't do that. It's going to, it should, I should, you and I, when we walk in the locker room after the game on Saturday night, it should be plastered on the walls. Yeah. Hang it above Subaru Park. And yeah. I mean, I have a couple of guesses as who might have said it. I'm not going to speculate. I have to think that anybody who watches the union that much is associated with a team that will come to town at some point. From how close a proximity will they come to town? Oh, anybody that close wouldn't say that. Okay. Are we talking about Atlanta? Is this Atlanta? I doubt it. I mean, okay. it is Eventually. one of a number of possible. I thought you meant in terms of New York or D.C. I did originally, but you said not yeah, that close. Anybody that close would not. Would say not. something like that. I mean, the Red Bulls certainly wouldn't because they play the same way. Okay, so people hate the way the union play. I am curious to get your thoughts on that. I mean, I think that there's a lot of, it's not It's not the beautiful game. Do, then why are they about- scoring five goals a pop? That's the thing. Yeah. If it's that ugly, why is it that effective? And why are no small number of people across the country telling the U.S. national team to play that way because it plays to the strength of the American player? What does it say about the American player? If that's the strength of them, what does it say? That they can run for a month. I think that's the problem. I think people don't want that to be the truth of how Americans play. They don't want it to be that we... Then add... Then you add the skill, as has been done with the Aaron, as has been done with Jack McClure, as has been done with um, Kate Cowell. Take another example from the other side of the country. Um, no, it's, it's of course you want a national team playing style that plays the team's strength. You want them to be able to, I mean, and I think Greg Berhalter, Greg Berhalter's teams, as Dutch influences, they were oppressed a lot more than anybody wanted to admit. And I've never seen, I've told this to a lot of people, I've never seen a U.S. men's national team play as well in a World Cup game as they did against England. And I had to go around and tell people, including one who signs your and my paychecks at the Enquirer, I know you don't follow soccer a ton. You've got to trust me that it was that good. Because it was. Yeah, yeah. Does it feel like a missed opportunity at all that we didn't have the goal to show for it in that game. I'm a a cranky old bastard. I don't know what missed opportunities are anymore. I've been in this for too long. (laughs) That's an optimistic response, actually. Philadelphia does not have a monopoly on the traits that it thinks it does. (laughs) That's the quote of the podcast. 
I mean, fair enough. Do, is it annoying? Do we, you know, dig into that identity too much? I mean, what kind of underdog is this consistently good as the union over the past few years? Is it at all accurate? I mean, yes, because of the amount of money they spend or don't. But I really would like, I said this at the end of last year, between what the union did on the field and what they did off it, most notably tripling the rest of the country for the television ratings for the championship, we got to now, my hope is that the league treats the union as being a big team in the league, which they're starting to do, and that the union treat themselves as a big team, which they have not done historically. They have treated themselves as a small suburban team with an 18,000 seat stadium that people drive into and drive out of and then go back to watching everything else. Look at the Flyers, a team you know I believe a few things about. They're atrocious. They have been for some time now, but they're on national TV 30 times a year. Why? Because they're a big team and a big television market. The union have earned the right to be treated that way, but it has to start in part with them treating themselves that way. I want to read you another quote. This quote is also from an article in The Athletic, this one entitled Philadelphia Union's Jim Curtin on MLS Cup Loss, Playoffs, and Future of USMNT. It's written by Felipe Cardenas and Pablo Mar. I think so. This is the most I'll brag about my club tonight. We're authentic. No knock on Atlanta, but if you check the driver's license at an Atlanta United game, they're from all over the place because that's just the place to party. You've got 50,000 people getting together to party. My dad sat next to a few and they were great people, but they were just like, we're SEC football guys and we're just here because this is a great party. What they've done is amazing. But we're kind of authentic and we did it kind of slowly. The city was with us along the ride and through the hard times too. Our fans literally got one of our presidents fired. They're part of the growth. I'm proud of it. Our crowd is a real crowd. All right. The Our fans got the president fired is the most accurate part of that whole thing. And on those quotes alone, Jim should get a new contract. <laughs> He's good at what he does, man. He knows what the city wants to hear about itself. Yeah. Yes. Whether or not it's true. He's got the Philly identity down. He they're, they're, yeah. they're undoubtedly, there are more soccer fans at games now, at union games now, than there have ever been before. It's not just three sides of families with small children and the sons of Ben and the river. But it is far from what it should be. And, and it, won't, it won't get there as things are currently constructed marketing-wise, I don't think. And obviously, this is my perennial complaint as it has been since the dawn of time. It won't be for as long as the public transit access to Subaru Park is as many. Yeah, I, it's going to be a suburban team until there's public easily. I think there is actually a bus. There something. is. I've taken it before yeah, many times. Yeah. It's, it is... It is moderately useful getting there. It is useless getting back. Because since the pandemic, in particular, the the commuter rail line that runs to near the stadium where the team runs the shuttle runs every two hours, if that, on a Saturday. That's no way to do this. I've said, I've said they've asked me over the years. I've said to them, you need to run the shuttle bus from Broad and Patterson as a cost of doing business. For free as well, yes. preferably. Yes. Yeah. yeah. So you mentioned the um, TV ratings that the Philadelphia area tripled the rest of the tv ratings in the country yeah yeah is that replicable with apple tv plus do you think that that kind of viewership will translate with it's it's not and that's the great joy of it mls is out of the tv rat race tv ratings that's a good thing that's a good thing not all of it is a good thing i think the fact that somebody finally paid up paid mls 
to play the games at the hours when the ticket sales staff always wanted to play them is an amazing piece of chance. They've tried to spin this every left way to Sunday about how great it is for the TV product and the atmosphere. I'm like, now nah, they just sell more tickets on Saturday night. They want, they want all their games on Saturday nights. They've got them. It's going to be 30 in Chester on Saturday night. They've already postponed the Portland-Kansas City game because of snow, and they just postponed the Galaxy LAFC at the Rose Bowl. Which is a shame. Not even $250 million a year can buy off the soccer gods to leave MLS. <laughs> yeah, they're ruthless. I've, Those soccer I've gods. Gotten, I've gotten a lot of complaints from traditional Philadelphia sports fans who said, I'm not going to watch this team anymore because they aren't on television. I'm not paying for Apple. Again, referring to the, the gentlewoman's congressional district from Delaware County over there. In those man caves, NBC Sports Philadelphia is on to TV six days a week, no matter what's on it. And the channel does not change except for an NFL Sunday. And upstairs is on 6ABC all day waiting for the news. Not everybody's like that anymore. And I said to a lot of people, union fans were spoiled just about by having all the games on free-to-air PHL 17, which for listeners who don't know is a sort of second-tier local free-over-the-air channel. And then the live streaming in-market was free on the team's website. They were leaving money on the table by not selling the in-market streaming rights. So you're not concerned about losing growth or losing casuals? Well, I'm not. I I think there will be, there might be some loss in this market, but league wide, knowing enough as I do about the local cable sports channels across the country and how they're all collapsing in front of our eyes, including NBC Sports Philadelphia, which nobody's willing to talk about. Because they want to imagine the things the way they've always been. But NBC Sports Philadelphia does next to no live programming except for games anymore. People don't watch TV. Everyone's watching well, on streaming services. But even, even when they do, it's not as many people as we thought. I'm pulling up a uh, something that I saw earlier today in the Sports Business Journal where the, the Sinclair and Bally Sports uh, channels are going bankrupt the whole sort of division of Sinclair called Diamond Sports that runs the Bally's is in in bankruptcy court now, just about. And the baseball teams are running away terrified. They're about to lose millions and millions of dollars from their local TV rights fees. So it was in the Sports Business Journal today, as we're recording this Friday, that NBA teams aren't worrying yet. There's a quote in there to John Orand, who uh, is sort of one of the lead business, you know, sports media guys at the Sports Business Journal. There's a line in there, the the regional sports cable channel that operates in Phoenix, Valley Sports, Arizona. Due to a combination of court cutting and its distribution deals, the RSN only reaches 40% of the Phoenix market. That's a pretty big population center right there. Yeah. Can you diagnose what's happening there? I mean, where do people not watch sports anymore? People are court cutting. Yeah. Because they don't want to pay for cable anymore. Now, they're paying for 30 streaming packages that are ultimately going to end up costing the same amount of money as cable. But a lot of people who don't care about sports were propping up the sports media ecosystem for many years by paying for ESPN and, and Comcast Sportsnet and everything else. Yeah, people will just be more intentional with what they want to watch and they'll need to but, subscribe to the streaming service. It is, to some extent, I think it's the necessary move and an inevitable move if it wasn't going to be one streaming service, you know. I, I, I think that, um, like, if you have YouTube TV. Mm-hmm. And you live in Minnesota or Atlanta, two big markets from us, you couldn't watch the teams. Yeah. You had to have one or two specific cable providers. So I look, I would have done one more year on 
local TV overlapping with Apple. But that's it. Not more than one. Overall, are you feeling positive about the move then? I mean, I see all the positives that you're mentioning the, here. The, there are some. I'm not 100% positive, but every time that something comes along in the news where a local cable sports channel in a big market is in serious financial trouble, it sure makes it easier to feel, uh, feel better about this deal. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Going back to your time at the She Believes Cup, I needed more details on the mood and atmosphere in the team. I think I saw, was it Steph Yang who reported that Megan Rapino left the locker room after they'd won the whole tournament wearing sunglasses and blasting juveniles inimitable hit. I can, back I that can confirm up. that the boombox went right behind me as I was standing there with my back to it. I mean, it looked like a fun celebration in the locker room. You had yes. some people had Budweiser's out. They had T-shirts with Mal on it. Was it Mal Swanson? Uh, Emily Sonnet, who's now nominally won the She Believes Cup six times. Oh, okay. So, so here's what here's what I'll, I'll say. A couple things. One, my ability to judge the mood was hindered by the fact that all three stadiums I was in had glass sealed press boxes. I hate that. Now, if it's July and I'm in Orlando or Nashville or Dallas, I get it. In February, I'd like to hear the crowd. Yeah, yeah. And the weather was nice. You and I are going to freeze our rears off on Saturday night in Chester, (laughs) but I'd rather be in an open air press box for a soccer game. I agree. I agree. So, so about the boombox and all that and the celebrations. When I saw the photos go around, I had the same sort of reaction in my mind as when the men's team had a gigantic celebration in the locker room in San Jose, Costa Rica after getting shellacked for nothing but qualifying for the World Cup anyway. A celebration like that is almost a psychological and therapy exercise, not just a, hey, we won a piece of plastic, you know? Definitely. And I think this team probably needed some of that. And I I've, I, I really think that Megan Rapinoe's biggest job on this team, yes, she's going to play some, she's going to be a closer, a set-piece taker, a penalty kick taker. Megan Rapinoe's biggest job on this team, and she's talked about it some, is to be the voice of the locker room the tone setter in the locker room. Here's when to be serious. Here's when to not. Here's the level you need to be at. Stuff like that. That's why she's going to New Zealand. It's quite clear now that she's gone. How many minutes did she play in the She Believes Cup? Oh. But I would, while you look that up, I mean, I would agree with you completely. And I do think she's uniquely skilled at that. I think she is a natural tone setter. I mean, when you ask other players how they feel about her, she's loved. I think that she has a an instinctive exuberance and unshakable confidence that is contagious. And this team, I think, needs that, you know? 39 minutes over two games. Okay. Second half substitutions against uh, I mean, and Brazil. But here's here's the other yeah. thing. Vlatko Ananovsky asked her to do this. He, to a certain degree, asked Alex Morgan to do it, but Alex Morgan's a different case because she's still at peak, as we have seen. You have to be willing to sacrifice yourself to this. To a degree that, not, and I'm not... I'm not out here trying to accuse anybody, though I will obviously be screamed at for such. You have to be willing to sacrifice yourself to quite a significant degree, I think, to do what Rapino is doing. And she's been willing. Mentally? Physically? Both? Mentally. Mentally. Psychologically. Because of the media? Because of the spotlight? Because of the No, because of the you're not a starter anymore, but I want you here to be the locker room tone setter and the leader. I see. I mean... 
the type of competitor she is, I imagine it eats her. I bet she still wants to be on the field. Sure. Yeah. But she knows herself. Is this team, so since October, yeah, it was October. Since October, they have played nine games, I believe it is, including the three She Believes Cup matches. And then they had their spate of difficult friendlies that nobody can stop talking about. They lost to England at Wembley. They lost to Spain's, and I hate using the term, but Spain's B squad, for lack of a better way to phrase that. strike squad, just about. I mean, I don't want to say scabs, but (laughs) scabs is not necessarily accurate in this case. That's even worse. not good. They lost to Spain, the Spain scab squad. Then they lost to Germany, and then they beat Germany, all four of those being friendlies. Then they beat New Zealand twice in two friendlies. You know, obviously the biggest tests they have faced and will face before the World Cup are those three, four, rather, friendlies against three teams, England, Spain, and Germany, and they were hardly encouraging. Now, they did fairly well in the She Believes Cup, I think the She Believes Cup contests were no slouch quality-wise. Is it on par with England, Spain, Germany? Uh, I would say that a Canada team not going through a significantly psychologically draining labor situation would be, and Japan and Brazil, absolutely. I think that those are all top 10 teams, and I think the She Believes Cup, they did an incredible job of bringing in those challenges, and they were challenged, but I think England's the best team in the world right now, and if not England, uh, then Germany. Sure, and if if that offside goal was counted as it should have, and it was 2-2 instead of 2-1, I don't think anybody's complaining out of that. Sure, they almost also won. Think, yeah, yeah. I also think, okay, let England go into this World Cup as the favorite. Let them have to handle it. See how they do. They're doing pretty good right now. They can't stop scoring. They haven't lost in how many games? I agree well, with they, you. The Arnold Clark Cup opposition this year was not all that good. Sure, it was at Italy, Belgium. But I think they're on a 21-game winning streak, and you know the U.S. has been there. And, yeah, sure, let them have the pressure. They do also have a harder route toward the final. Yeah. You know, if the U.S. makes makes it to the final, they'll need to likely beat some combination of Spain, Sweden, England will likely have to beat Germany. I mean, well, France, but France is a bit in flux at the moment now. Um, Australia at home, assuming Australia makes it out of their group, potentially Canada as well. So I think I do think they have a, a tough, tough route. Colony, to the Colonies Revenge Tour. <laughs> For, <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think I think it'll be interesting. But I guess I mean. They've had a lot of good competition. She believes Cup, good competition. But people were pretty down on the team after those fall friendlies. So halftime against Germany at Red Bull Arena last November, the last game of the year. You were there as well. Yes, the U.S. is down Mm 1-0. Vlatko Ananovsky finally gives up his idealism at halftime. Pulls Lindsey Horanin back into a double pivot. They come back, reverse that game, come back, win it 2-1, go the next five games unbeaten without conceding. Is that just a goal until late in the Brazil game when that came to it is the last one, six, six games, 16 goals, I think scored one conceded, two conceded counting the first one against Germany. Something went right there. What went right was Lindsay Horan's positional discipline. And then against Brazil, it didn't. And it was a big problem. And I think I'm going to, I'm going to write about this in a couple of days too. Everybody wants the U S to play champagne football and this, that, and so on. Both of their World Cup wins of recent vintage 
15 and 19 were one with defense, not offense. They can play. We know they can play. But the defensive commitment is the mental side. When you look at how we ended the She Believes Cup then, so there's been evolution. There's been some, at least intended evolution at times in positional discipline. I think Haran is a big piece to this and how we're deploying her. Obviously, we're getting better results than we were in the fall. Whether or not the actual play was that concerning as we made it out to be in the fall is up for debate. But are you feeling confident now? In, in that, you know, what, what is how many months has it been since October? My, my bar for the U.S. at the World Cup is the semifinals. Okay. I don't think it's fair to ask a team to – I don't think win it all or bust is fair. And I, I just cannot get out of my head that demanding this team make a fourth straight World Cup final strikes me as a bit of a strange. Remember, they made the final in 11 and lost it. Teams don't make three straight World Cup finals across the board anywhere very often. Four is crazy. They've got the talent to do it. And I can see now where, as the players who are about to come back from injury, where they fit in. And this was actually one of the questions that Vladko got asked after the Brazil game at the end of the She Believes Cup. He said, you've got three games left. Do you think at any point before the World Cup, you will actually have your full strength team on the field for any extended period of time? He what might not. I, he... He said he doesn't really think about it that way, if my memory's right. But the point was he might not. But if on July 10th or whatever it is, July 12th, if they do it, if they have everybody there and they've spent enough time together in camp and the missing pieces come in and fit the way they should – they should be able to make the final again well enough. Because the two big missing pieces to me in terms of players who are going to come back are Katarina Macario and Tiernan Davidson. Sophia Smith? Yes, but she's been out shorter term, so I don't think of it in the same. Yeah, she's not out. She's not out, out. Yeah, yeah, I hear you. Do you, so you, Tiernan Davidson is very interesting to me. And I think that, I remember texting you because I wasn't sure if I caught it correctly, but Vlaco seemed to end that press conference saying, you know, there's people who will, he said, when they come back, when they, when they return, they'll need to earn their spot. And, um, you know, I can't stop thinking about who he means. And I think he probably means Kat Macario clearly. Like, is she displacing Alex Morgan from the starting lineup at this point? How can you remove Alex Morgan in the form that she's in? Um, you can because you figure out who's going to start against the Netherlands and work backwards from there. And then you start waving your hands around and, and you know, pulling magic handkerchiefs. And re- nobody's going to know the difference by the time. It's, it's, they play differently, obviously, the two of them. But I have a hunch that Swanson, Macario, Smith is the top front three. And then in a tie game against England or Canada um, or Germany or Sweden or whoever in a knockout round or the Netherlands in the group stage, Alex Morgan's coming off the bench at the hour mark with his team coming out of her nose. You don't want anywhere near that, I don't think. Imagine the terror in the other team when you're tired. Ah. It's the end of the game and here comes Alex Morgan. Here comes Trinity Rodman. Here comes... I'm not sure Rodman's going to make it. To the roster? No. 
Okay, tell me more. Don't break my heart like that. What do you mean? Um, well, who are the wingers? Lynn Williams. Midge well, Purse didn't get any minutes, so I'm thinking Purse she's got no minutes. Of... I don't think she's going to make it. If it was 26 players, different story. Okay, so starting lineup. Let's say starting lineup is Mal Swanson, Kat Macario, Sophia Smith. Get out a piece of paper here. Yeah, let's let's run through this. So we so Mal Swanson, Kat Macario, Sophia Smith. Fine, I buy into that. Alex Morgan is going in for Kat Macario. She's the first sub off the bench. Then obviously we've got Megan Rapino on the left. Who so, you know, Rap- uh, or well, whichever side, but Rap- sure, Rapino is so I so I am a of every animal in the archetype. Okay, the World Cup roster. That's where I start from. Okay, so six forwards, presumably. So that's five. We've got five, and they're definite. Right. So there's so only Macario one. and Morgan backs up Macario. Mm-hmm. Rapino backs up Smith or P- or Mal or Mal. Doesn't she usually go in for Mal. Either one. Either 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 side doesn't. So then we have we have one winger spot left, and I think for me, the people no questions for me vying for that is Lynn Williams, Trinity Rodman, or he keeps every now and then he keeps mentioning Kristen Press or Tobin. I can't fathom it. I can't fathom it. I love it personally. The idea that we would just see Kristen Press come running back onto the team if if she gets on an absolute tear to start the NWSL season in L. She might. I wouldn't put it past her. I wouldn't put it past her. But Lynn Williams' defensive pressure as a forward is so good. It is elite level. Okay. That she, I think, is in line to be a big weapon if she stays healthy. I also think that if she stays healthy, she is going to torch some people for Gotham this spring. All right. Let's do. Let's go through the rest of the the roster, and then that's, we can. That's six forwards, right? Well, there. maybe we bring seven, depending. Okay, right. so so tens are Lavelle and, and Sanchez, and the then eights we think as of now are Haran and Korniak. The sixes are Sullivan, and then probably right now Christy Mewis. Yes, and we're going to see whether Sam Coffey gets called up in April. Yeah, if she doesn't, she's out. Yeah, I don't. But you're going with two of Korniak, Mewis, and Coffey, and. I think that Vlatko is attempting to plug a six foot one player into a six foot one size hole. Whether or not Taylor Korniak and Sam Mewis are the same player. Yeah, Korniak is so interesting. We didn't see her get that run out as the six in this she tournament. Played the nine to end yeah. the to end the um, to end the Brazil game, and she went out there. She came in for Morgan. I was like, okay, she's subbing in for Morgan. There's some kind of tactical swap surely going on here. And I keep watching and waiting for Korniak to drop back into the midfield. And she never does. She's leading the line. Okay. So that, to me, is a sign. And and Hatch did not come off the bench in the Brazil game, which is a sign to me that she's done. Yeah, I think and she's done. I hate to say this, but I, I don't think she'll be missed all that much. Yeah, I don't. I don't. Yeah, I agree with you. She's, she's, I'm, I'm very snobbish about strikers. She had a chance against Canada, I think, where Christy Mewis sprung her. She was wide open. She took an extra touch shot and shared and saved it. And a whole bunch of us said that's it. Goodbye. Yeah, I agree. I think it is. I think that the seven forwards we mentioned are the six or seven who are going. Hatch is not among them. Looking at the center back situation. So it seems like Becky and Naomi Gurma are the center back pair, at least for the moment. But you think Tierna Davidson can come in and, and sneak in 
to even the starting lineup or just the roster? Um, I think, uh, I think that I would give Davidson and Guillermo all 180 minutes in April and I would start them on opening day. Fair enough. And then you're bringing four center backs. If Davidson is good and healthy, is it Germa, Sauerbrunn, Davidson and Cook? Those are the center backs? Yes. Germa, uh, Germa, Sauerbrunn, Davidson and Cook. Who are your fullbacks? Crystal Dunn on the left, Emily Dunn, Fox on the right. Dunn, Fox, Sonnet, and then probably Huerta or O'Hara or Kruger. We're going to find out. And who are your goalkeepers? Mayor Murphy. Uh, Mayor Murphy French. So how many players does that leave us? Did we write everyone down? So we've got... Uh, zero. 23. Two of every animal in the arc and three goalkeepers. So you think Trinity Rodman is not going to the World Cup? Crazy. I didn't write everyone Who does down. she knock off? Now, maybe he, does, maybe he doesn't go... I think he really likes Cook. He likes Cook more than a lot of us on the outside do. But do you... If you drop Cook because Sonic can play center back, then you've got room for somebody else. Do yeah, you we'll drop Mewis for a forward? I wouldn't. No. No. Do you drop Korniak for I think Korniak. I probably would. Because if you need an if you need an extra nine, you push her ran up. Yeah, I was not, a striker no. when she started her career, after all. Sophia Smith can be a striker too. Yeah. So can Williams. I'm not convinced Korniak needs to be on the roster, personally. I'm not convinced she needs. I mean, I see the benefit. I wrote about it. We've we've all we all you would have you would have bought the popcorn for the rest of us if you were at the Sheba Leeds Cup. We were pounding <laughs> Flatco over midfield stuff day after day to the point where one of the Canadian reporters who was down there mainly to report on the labor strike said to me after one of the news conferences, "Man, you can tell the differences in these programs by the level of the questions you guys are asking." What do you think of Vlaco? Is he doing? Is has he overseen the evolution we need to see in this team? Um, I don't think he will have ever overseen the full evolution because the postponement of the Olympics for, by a year completely derailed the plan of overhaul timing wise. It kept players around who might not have stayed, and obviously, if the U.S. had won gold in Tokyo, I think we might have seen one or two more retirements. Who? But it, it it knocked the it knocked the he will be he is cursed almost in that way because if he doesn't win if he doesn't win at all he's deemed a failure. You know. Do the players feel I, that I pressure? Think he's really like, smart. You mentioned earlier that you're you're saying semifinal because it's not fair to ask this team to make their fourth straight World Cup final and win it. And fair enough, but yeah, they definitely that's the still going to be the expectations. Do you think the players feel that to be the expectation? Do they feel pressure? Oh, I'm sure they're winner bust. Yeah. They should be winner bust. They should be. I think they can do it. I kind of think, I think they, they, will. they absolutely can do it. And they should be winner bust. The rest of us don't have to be. Their job to be winner bust. I need your like full prediction for who makes it to the final and who wins. I'm going to say the US definitely makes the final. If they don't, they're losing to Spain in the semifinal. But I think they make the final and I I haven't I haven't run it all the way out yet. Okay. In terms of who they'd face where. All right, we'll pause. Well, if I'll they, ask you that if, next if, time. Yeah. If they if they make the final, if they make the final, I think they will win. They would likely meet Germany or England on the other side. Or France. If Germany, they, England, and France are all coming through. It won't other. be France. I, I Especially now, I don't think it'll be France. 
Yeah, it's going to be Germany or England, I think. Or Australia. Germany, I think, Germany, I think would beat them. Germany would beat them? They're really good. Yeah, I think they'd beat and, England. And they don't. don't, they don't care. They have no mental blocks of any kind. And Germany against the U.S. never has, frankly, which is why for all those years, they were the biggest, not only the biggest rival, but the biggest foil. If Germ- Germany can beat them, a U.S.-Australia final, I don't think Australia is going to make the final. I will end up eating those words among my Australian friends. I don't think Australia <laughs> has the talent to make the final, and I think they do. They'd be riding on a serious wave of home team yes. momentum. Yeah, And their group's no slouch, by the way. No. I, I, they might not even... Group, but it's no slouch. Who doesn't get out? Like, you think... Is it Canada, Australia, definitely? Who do you think yeah. oh, gets yeah. out of that group? Because they're, yeah. they're just that much better. Nigeria's not very good right now, unfortunately. Ireland's not going to be the dark horse that... So Carly Lloyd, um, no I wanted to ask you about her, and I'm glad you reminded me. So the panel mm. that we saw, we, we were both at the mm. Soccer Coaches co- Convention, and they had I'm the Fox to panel. I'm going to fail. <laughs> what? So we were, we were both at that panel, and... Yes. Heather O'Reilly and Carly Lloyd both named Ireland as a dark horse. And I wanted to kind of raise my hand and be like, do you know what group they're in? Because like you said, so you think Ireland's beating Canada or Australia to get out of that group. But putting that aside, that's not my question. My question is this. Carly indicated again in that panel that the reason they didn't do well in Tokyo is because of mentality issues. She seems to be heavily hinting at locker room issues in Japan. What are you reading from that? What locker room issues were there in Japan? And she seems to think they're still there. Are they still there? Dramatic pause. Elongated, dramatic pause of silence. Listener, if you could only see Jonathan's face right now. <laughs> so Carly and I have some history, as you know. Yeah. Do you want to tell the listener about no, your history? No, because we've patched it up to her and some other people's credit who helped with that. I... I've also heard that there were some locker room issues in Tokyo, not to a point where I am able or willing to name who. I do think that Carly tends to look down somewhat at anybody who doesn't work as hard as she does in her own mind. And she does work extremely hard. There's no question about that. You may not like her politics, and a lot of people disagree with them. I've had many disagreements with her about many things over the years. She works very hard. There is no doubt about that. Yeah, yeah. I can't fully confirm the chemistry stuff. I do think that the team is in a better place now psychologically than it's been. And I think she has admitted that some in time. So we don't need to worry about whatever locker room issue that was there then festering now. You think it's, I don't think so at the moment. Okay. Is it's also, it's just, it's a new generation of people. Yeah. Have they inherited, though? Like, they, there's a lot of talk about the DNA of the team and inheriting the identity. Do you think that's the case? And is it is that, you know, Megan Rapinoe, is she there passing along this winning I think mentality? That, as I said earlier, that's a big part of what Rapinoe was there for. Yeah. A very big part of what Rapinoe was there for. Because that inheritance doesn't just happen at a time when there has been a lot of turnover. It's Rapinoe, Sauerbrunn, Dunn, I think, is a big part of that, too. My last question for you is what is what is that identity that they're inheriting? You know, everyone talks about it's winning. Well, what is it beyond winning? And does it disappear it's if winning. they don't win? It is it is it is winning. Absolutely. It is has had this uh, somebody said this to me. I had this conversation 
with a number of people I had with Lynn Williams recently. Because I wrote a piece when I talked to her to, at camp because she's, you know, she's joining Gotham and uh, she is somebody who has made the playoffs, whose team has made the playoffs, even though she was hurt last year. Her team has, whatever team she's been on, has made the playoffs every year of her professional career except her rookie year. That's a remarkable Gotham stat. needs that. Gotham has has not won enough soccer games and needs to go win games, and Lynn Williams will help them win games. Um, it, but there's there's a lot of the people who were responsible for the mentality over the years are not there anymore because there has been a generational transition. And that is, I think, as I said, why Rapino and some of the other veterans are there. And it's coming now. I can see it coming together. I would venture that it also helps that Katarina Macario has won a European Cup and played in the final. And because because the mentality ultimately is, it doesn't matter that we're one nothing down, we're going to win this game. And more often than not, they have. And we all come out of it complaining that they played ugly soccer and this, that, and whatnot, but they won the game. Yeah. They they find a way. They are mentality monsters. They find a way to win. I feel like in 2019, that's what happened. They they won because of just willing themselves almost to the final. Well, and and England has it now because they, has, they they do, they do have it. I think so. But do they? I would still. I personally would still in a U.S. England final on neutral turf. I'd pick the U.S. You would. Why? Are we more talented? Um, I think that I don't know whether the U.S. is more talented. I think that they are talented in a different way that ultimately makes the difference, which is who is England's Rose Lavelle? Who is England's Kat Macario? Who is England's Ashley Sanchez? I mean, I reckon the answer to a degree is Fran Kirby, a really seriously, not just talented player, but creative player. We'll see what happens. But I think that it would be very close. It might come down to penalties. And if it's certainly, if it comes down to penalties, I would pick the U.S. Because of an eminent faith in Alyssa Nair or because of a, these girls are not missing penalties. Is it because it's England? I mean, I think, famously... I think the U.S. is not, <laughs> I think the U.S. is not missing for the most part. You know, they did in 16. Yeah. In Brazil, they they missed penalties and went out. But uh, who was it in that 19th semi? Houghton? Yes, Steph Houghton. Yeah. Alyssa Nair is not easy to beat. Yeah, I that's my present prediction. I know it's it it almost feels unimaginative to say it'll be the U.S. versus England in the final, but I feel pretty sure that's what's going to happen. And, 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 and the funny thing – sorry, go ahead. Um, no, I just I can't wait. I can't wait for it. I mean the the clash of titans, the emotional and narrative weight behind that. I, I'm I just I hope it happens, and I do think it it will happen. Seventy two years and counting. <laughs> Is this fine? Seventy two years of hurt <laughs> going to come to an end. Never mind the world. Never mind England finally winning a World Cup. More importantly, they finally beat the United States in a world. If they do. That was I'm a journalist. I'm supposed to be objective about things. 
I've been lectured to by too many English people in my life. And I try to tell my friends over there, no, y'all got to understand this game is really, really big for us. And they will be up for it in a big way. And I think the message finally got through before that game kicked off. Such that enough people were not surprised that it ended in a tie. Can you tell me more about the lectures you're getting from English people? <laughs> I don't get them now. Well, I think you and I, you and I had the same experience when we were at Leeds at the various times in last summer when everything was sunshine and roses and we thought that Brendan Aronson was going to score 10 goals and Leeds would finish 11th or whatever. He just scored against Chelsea. They just beaten Chelsea for the first time in 20 years. And fans in the parking lot were shouting jokes at him about how he called himself. Was that Chelsea fans? Leeds, or Leeds? fans. They were yelling at Brendan? They were probably 15 years old, but they were yelling at Brendan. Yeah. There's definitely something there. And it's such a it's it can it can be such a delicate subject because obviously you and I both have so many wonderful colleagues. Um, they get it. The broadsheet media over there get it now. Yeah, I think so too. Um, and a lot of them have been over here. A lot of them know us. They knew Grant Wall very well. Henry Winter and Grant Wall are very close friends. Everybody, and they listen to him, and they've listened to me some, and they've listened to you, and so on. Um, but there was a part of me that wanted Jesse to keep leads up, and at the end of the season, say, "Nah, I'm out of here. I don't need this anymore." He wouldn't have done it because he wouldn't have left Tyler Adams and all those other players in the lurch like that. Yeah. But just say, I don't need this anymore. I'm going to go take a job that's plenty high profile and I don't have to deal with you guys. Do you think that he was treated unfairly? Until about two weeks to go in his tenure. You lose the games he lost at the end, he had to go. I get that. But overall, yeah, probably. Yeah. Well, it was fun to watch him. I enjoyed it. Hopefully he lands on his feet somewhere. You, I mean, it'll be interesting to see where. Maybe it'll be the national team job, and then we'll be talking about him all the time. I don't think it needs to be made any more complicated. What do you mean by that, though? I don't Look, I don't think that he's only going to play 4-4-2 box midfields for the rest of his life. He has not necessarily done that for his entire career. He's smart enough to know when he's out of his system. Yes, you want your guys to press defensively because everybody He's smart enough to know what he's doing. And he's smart enough to look those guys in the eye with the help of the captain of the national team who played for him and Weston McKinney, who even if they were only together for a week and a half, and Brendan Aronson, and all the players who trust those three guys implicitly and say, you know what, let's just go play. We know what we want to do. Let's just go do this. And then so come can... down the street from us on July 4th, 2026 and knock England. Now you want to talk about epic storylines. That would be even. They have to. It has to be. <laughs> it has to be. Yeah. Here's hoping. Freeze the balls in the pots, you know, and don't tell us, but it has to be. Yeah. And everybody knows. It. Yeah. Yeah. We need it. We need that happen. We need that to happen. Beat England in the quarterfinals to go to the semis for the first time since 1930. On July 4th, 2026 at the league. And to follow that storyline, make sure you're following Jonathan Tannenwald <laughs> on Twitter. <laughs> oh, we've gone on for long enough, I think. Yeah, thank you for letting me occupy so much of your Friday afternoon, Jonathan. It has been a pleasure, and I will see you tomorrow.
Yes, and as I said, next time we'll do we'll find some establishment to do this at and have some yeah natural some... sound and gelato in the background. So. That sounds excellent. I will. I will. We'll make sure that happens. All right, JT. Take care.